0: Hello, and welcome to the Above Average Irrelevance Podcast. This is episode 27. Today is Wednesday, December 14th. I'm Matt Weaver, and I'm again here, as always, with Scott Nelson. Good evening, Scott. Good evening. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. We're drinking two different ryes tonight, after our discussion
1: about Pennsylvania rye last week. I went in search of a Pennsylvania rye and was... Halfway through Yeah, way. unsuccessful, but got partway there. Yes. So tonight we have a Willet rye. Um,
0: this is the rare release, uh, high-proof version, 117-proof version. Uh, and we're comparing that to a Rittenhouse, uh, bottled-in-bond, 100-proof um, rye whiskey uh, they're both good. I think the Willet is a little better. Yeah. Um, it's a little more expensive, too. Yeah. And so the Rittenhouse is a Pennsylvania style, but it's made by the uh, Heaven Hill Distillery uh, in Kentucky. Yes. Um, though the Heaven Hill Distillery is uh, kind of mildly famous. It's one of the last family-owned distilleries. It's, uh, it's no Jim Beam.
1: So I like it. I think it's a good buy. I will continue to drink it. Yeah. I agree; it's not as good as the Willet, but it's not really a fair comparison.
0: No, it would be fun to to uh, make a um, an old fashioned with each of these and kind of compare them, sure, old fashioned wise. But <clears throat> maybe uh, closer to New Year's, maybe that can be the yeah. the way to spend our time.
1: So the quest for an Official, actual Pennsylvania rye continues. Yes. This is a stepping stone. Uh, I'm going to travel this weekend to
0: the fine state of Illinois, uh, and I intend to stop in a liquor store somewhere there and see how close I can come to something from Pennsylvania. We'll see. Godspeed. (laughs) Or something. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, last week... You regaled us with your new diet plan.
1: Yeah, now we're ready for an update. Drum roll! I found on the ta- oh, I don't believe you did that. I was going to say I pound on the table, but I know it would annoy you when you're doing the sound <laughs> editing. Um, okay, so week one, I lost six point three pounds. Nicely done. So I'm off to a good start. Yeah, I am ahead of my three pound per week average, which the this is what I told you. You know, the first few weeks are easy. Yeah, you're banking up um, for Christmas week, really. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I had a good first week. I didn't do anything crazy. Um, I just ate good food. ate a little lighter than usual. I worked out pretty much every day. I rode a couple days and I rocked a couple days and hit the gym once and swam laps a couple times. And so I got back into like daily exercise, which I had been away from for a while.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so so far so good. So this is. Another thing I decided I'm going to try not to obsess about weighing myself, so I'm going to weigh myself once a week. Okay. So my second weigh-in was Sunday morning, like a week. Um, I'm going to weigh myself Sunday morning, it's just once a week. So, okay. Uh, so far, so good.
0: That's good. I wonder if it would. Do Do you want to just you know uh, keep track of your weight loss here in the podcast, mm-hmm. or maybe we should add a add a page to the website.
1: It's yeah, I thought about doing that. So I use this Wythings scale that has scale. a nice chart.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and I looked at one time, and there are some like dashboard products or like dashboard widgets that will use the Wythings API. Yeah, um, to pull the data, and I think I could probably put a widget. They integrate with WordPress. I think I could probably put a widget on the that'd be cool um, website. And I don't. It might be a fun project to get it figured out. I don't know that it's really of interest to anybody, but. Um, I've thought about doing that in the past. I think we talked about this maybe like six months ago. And I thought that having some sort of public, you know, public display of my progress uh, would give some accountability to me. Like I, it might. for some reason, I respond well to that kind of thing when I, I like to tell people when I'm trying to do a diet, trying to, you know, make something happen because then I feel more accountable to do it rather than I. You know, I'm just in my own head trying to do it myself, you know?
0: Yeah, it's easy to let your own self down. It's I, better than right, somebody exactly. else down. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm already very disappointed in myself, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: just, yeah, heap on more derision, whatever.
1: Doesn't exactly.
0: Matter. So, <clears throat> yep, onward. Well, that's good. That's excellent news. Right. Uh, so no changes you're going to make for next week. Same basic plan.
1: Same basic plan. I mean, I'm working out more. I I don't think I'm going to get into any sort of strict diet plan until after Christmas. Um, Just because I'm, like, going to immediately break it. Like, I have a Christmas thing this weekend and then Christmas, Christmas next weekend. Um, And I don't like getting on, you know, zone or calorie count or some strict diet plan and then, like, immediately having a cheat day. So, I probably won't start a strict diet plan until January 2nd.
0: Are you going to give yourself a pass for these um, Christmas events, or are you going to say, have some of the fancy stuff, just don't have very much
1: of them? I'm going to try and do portion control. Just keep it under control. Yeah. I'm not going to abstain from anything. Um, My family are big eaters and good cooks, and it would just be pointless to try and do that. It would be unpleasant. (laughs) It would make Christmas unpleasant um, to try and abstain from eating things that I like to eat. So... Okay, fair enough. Shall we move on to your next story? Yeah, this is the me episode. This Scott. So it's a good thing I'm here. If you were by yourself, you'd just be in silence.
0: Yeah, just me and my depression over here. We'd we'd drink alone for the podcast.
1: So (laughs) I can't remember if I've complained uh, when we were podcasting before about... I was starting to have kind of problems with my iPhone with the battery. It wouldn't charge. It was shutting down sometimes. I have the 6 Plus. Yes. And it would shut down in the mid... Teens, like 15, 16%. It would just shut off. And I had done the battery diagnostics on the phone once with Apple support. They have this new remote diagnostic thing, which is actually pretty amazing. And they said my battery didn't qualify for replacement. <clears throat> I was running up against my AppleCare expiring on December 18th. Soon. Um, yeah, in a few days. <clears throat> and so I thought I was just nothing to be done. And then, out of nowhere, the camera on my phone stopped working. And when I would go, like, I was going to take a picture, it was shaking. Um, There was, like, some sort of vibration or something in it. So I'm like, this is my ticket to a new phone. Which,
0: Uh, that was a a known issue with those phones.
1: Yes, I had forgotten it. I didn't realize it at the time. So we go up to Apple, get a Genius Bar appointment. The 6 Plus, there was a certain series of serial numbers that had a stabilizer issue Um, in the camera. And so mine was one of those. And I had known this a long time ago, but it was one of those where they won't replace it unless it exhibits symptoms. Right. Um, And I didn't realize this was the symptom, but it was. So they were going to swap the camera. And then I brought up the battery thing and they ran the battery test. And it turned out that the battery was bad enough that I guess in addition to the camera, I mean, it was going to take several hours to replace anyway. And so they just swapped it out for a new... Yeah, like the New battery.
0: We could see the results.
1: Yeah. This time. And so your battery was right on the edge. It was still technically. It um, was in the green. It was meeting its requirements, but it was, like, but it right, was right on the edge. It was like edge. in the bottom 10% of the range.
0: Yeah.
1: Like in three to four weeks, it's probably going to dip below. Right. Just after um, the Apple Care expires. So, yeah, it, you know, I always hear very mixed things. I've always had very good Apple Store, Genius Bar support experiences. I've heard more and more lately people not, you know, they're much less likely to give you the new phone, give you the break. Um, they did for me. So, so it was great. Kudos to them. Yeah. Uh, now
0: we were discussing this. I think though I have no actual data to back this up. I think the fact that your phone is the six, not a S and not a seven that it's older. I think there's just less pressure on those phones. And your mm-hmm. phone was in outstanding condition, right? Mm-hmm. That wasn't bent, wasn't scuffed. The, scri- the screen was yeah. in perfect shape. So. And that was
1: interesting. He did pretty carefully inspect my phone. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure that's a factor in deciding what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, because if they can find any sort of damage or bend or, you know, then they can start to place some of the blame on you. Right. Um, for what's going wrong. So. Yeah. So it worked out. Yeah. Now, getting it up and running was another thing.
0: So um, you took a backup on your
1: machine. On like iTunes, You, you yes. normally do
0: iCloud, but you did a backup, an encrypted backup, on your local machine before you went to the Apple Store.
1: Right. So first thing, you know, we're a couple hours away from home where we went to an Apple Store. So in the Apple Store, I have to wipe my old phone. They put my SIM card, a new one, and hand it to me. But I can't really set it up then and there if I want to restore a backup as part of the setup process. So now, you know, my number is essentially just dead until I get home and I run the phone setup. Mm -hmm. And so my speculation was that anybody who I messaged me or text messaged me during that period, that then once I was back up and running, they would pop up. Right. No, Uh they did not. So there was like a, you know, and after going to the Apple store, we had dinner and stuff. And by the time we got home, it was pretty much like, it was almost a four hour window. Um, and now I found two people who had sent me a message that I did not get. Interesting. Which I find disappointing. Yeah. Um, you'd
0: think, um, because your other phone should have been turned off. I mean, you were signed out of out of iCloud on that Mm -hmm. old phone. So there should have been no target, really, for those messages.
1: Yeah, so I don't know where they went. Like, uh, the one gal who messaged me has an iPhone, so we had a blue bubble conversation going. And I asked her to see on the phone what happened. And so when she sent a message and when I was out of commission, it showed that it sent, but it was a green bubble in the middle of our blue bubble conversation. So it's like it had converted to text message because I was no longer on the iMessage network, I guess. Um, but I still never received it. But so there, she knew maybe something was up. I mean, anytime you have an, I, an iMessage conversation and a green yeah. bubble slips in there, it's pretty, usually it's an indicator that the person on the other end is having some sort of service or network problem, yeah. right? Um, so I don't know, the, the most interesting thing to me is my MacBook was online with messages open this whole time. Did you get that message from her? No.
0: Oh, because it sent green Greenbubble, mm-hmm.
1: and your phone wasn't in... Wasn't in service. Con- ...continuity range to get it. And then there was somebody else who sent me, who has an Android phone, who had sent me a text that yeah. I did not get. Which, that doesn't surprise you, because those things
0: head into the ether, and they either get delivered or they don't. There's not a lot of yeah. fault tolerance in that system.
1: So... I don't know. That was a little disappointing. And then the backup thing was a whole other fiasco that we don't really need to get into. But it turned out I was unable to restore from the iTunes backup. um, And it was an issue with the version of iOS on the phone. And, you know. Yeah, we looked this up today. There's a really
0: unintuitive methodology that Apple wants you to do when you're moving to a new device moving to a new iphone from Mm -hmm. a backup and when you start up the phone it wants you to do an ios update and the unintuitive thing that it wants you to do is to go through the setup on the phone as if it were a new phone as if it were a new phone skip signing in to icloud so don't enter your apple id let the ios update complete over the air or connected to the computer Mm -hmm. and then uh once the ios update is complete erase the phone so that you get back to right the initialization wizard that you see that one time at the beginning and then set it up and say i want to back i want to restore from a backup and plug it into itunes right. and let it go and that's
1: totally unintuitive and see so when i'm doing this at midnight you know i didn't want to start I didn't want to call Apple. I didn't want to start researching it. I didn't want to figure out what to do because I would have made two, if I had done that, I would have made two mistakes. A, I didn't even know that you could set up the phone without putting in an Apple ID. Like I didn't know that you could get to a point that you could update iOS without like signing into the device, but apparently you can. Um,
0: Apple support page says
1: you can I don't know. Right? And two, I, I was kind of confused about the fact because I thought, well, if I reset the phone, then it's going to go back and I'm going to have to reinstall the iOS update again. But you're not really, you're not like factory resetting the phone. You're just erasing all the data. I probably wouldn't have figured out that that's what I needed to do either. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just a completely, I mean, that's a crazy pants solution. I never would have figured that out at midnight when I just want to get my phone back online.
0: And, and you're a very sophisticated <sighs> user, right? And yeah. so, uh, I so speculated you to-, to you today, like, uh, you know, I hate to make this, uh, if Steve jobs was still alive moment, mm-hmm. but if Steve jobs was still alive and like he encountered this late one night, like I'm pretty sure he'd start calling people at Apple and there'd be a bunch of people's heads on a platter by the following morning, right?
1: Yeah. So to be clear, the problem, you know, I went in iTunes and I said, restore this backup, and it said, you know, the version of the phone is too out of date. And so to be clear, it's just that iTunes wasn't capable of doing the iOS update prior to restoring the backup. Or as part of the, hey,
0: your iOS is out of date. Um, We're going to update iOS and then put your backup on it.
1: Now, the error message I got in iTunes did say... You will need to set it up. You will need to set your device up as a new phone and then restore the backup. But I don't know. I don't always trust Apple. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. So then what I ultimately did is I just went through and I restored it from iCloud. And guess what the first thing it did was? Updated the version of iOS. So it's like the iCloud workflow is smart enough to do, like, the two phase. And I think it's – they just don't – I mean, they don't want to invest in iTunes. Whoever did the backup restore shit in iTunes doesn't want to go fix this problem. So they have this hacky workaround where it's your responsibility to get iOS updated. And then we'll restore your backup from iTunes. Or
0: uh... – It's possible. I mean, you know how corporate software development works. It's possible that they want to do that, but the real answer to doing that is some sort of million-man-hour re-engineering of an entire workflow that they can never get into plan, right? Who knows
1: what it is. So I'm back up and running, new phone, all is well, and the only negative is, you know, there's a lot of... I found out there's a lot of data that is not backed up in iCloud. So, for instance, in my podcasting app, I had... I don't know, maybe like six or eight gigs of backlog podcast stuff because there's a couple of, like I've downloaded all the episodes of Serial, I've downloaded all the episodes of Welcome to Night Vale, um, some of these more like uh, storytelling type podcasts that I've never started, but I know I'm going to listen to them start to finish someday. And I just had downloaded them and I have them on my phone while all of those were gone. They're not in iCloud. So they all started downloading again and um, it's that kind of stuff, like any data All my credentials are gone, so I had to log back into Slack and log back into any rewards app and airline <laughs> app and I mean Yep. And that stuff you had mentioned to me because I did a secure iTunes backup, most of it probably would have been stored yes. um in the iTunes backup that I could not restore. Yes. So Oh well. Wont wong. Uh, lesson I'm, learned. I'm super happy to have a new phone though, because now I'm pretty sure I can get at least another year or two out of this.
0: I'll, yeah, oh, I'm sure
1: you so, can get a third year out of it. I'll be really intrigued yeah. if you go a fourth year.
0: I'm I'm interested to see how that goes.
1: And I hadn't been in an Apple store in a long time. That was kind of cool. We got to play with the Touch Bar, yep. Max, and the new Apple TV. and Try out the new keyboard. Nope. Yep. Uh, the new touchpad on, like, the
0: 15-inch MacBook Pro is huge. It's insane. <laughs> I mean, it's probably... As big as the screen on an original Macintosh was. No. I mean, it's just <laughs> insane. Uh, the keyboard, the key travel on the new keyboards is like nothing.
1: Yeah.
0: Yet, I could still, like, I typed a few sentences on it and it worked. It felt different. But many people who have reviewed this on the internet said, after a few days, you don't really notice it anymore. It. Um i would guess that that would be the case Mm -hmm. um touch bar was kind of neat i don't know i'm a little skeptical
1: of its uh, it's just kind of a toy when you're looking at it in the store like that like i can't come up with any practical application of it that i think would benefit my life
0: i think we are in early days of the touch bar i think three years from now a computer without touch bar you'll find to be a burden Uh, just like in three years, any laptop that does not have a USB-C port, (laughs) you're going to find to be a burden, Mm -hmm. even though it's now a burden that that's what you only have. Right. So, yeah. So the visiting the Apple store is always a good time. While we're on this topic of visiting the Apple store, um, we were at the Apple store in the Mall of America. Which, if you've ever been there, happens to be across the aisle from the Microsoft store. It's kind of like Nerdville in that corner because it's the Apple store, it's the Microsoft store, and Legoland is right next to it. <laughs> um, and they had the uh, the what is it that the Xbox um, uh, virtual reality demo is that the
1: HoloLens? I think it's the HoloLens. It's the one from Microsoft.
0: I thought they had an, one that works with the new Xbox. Oh. Anyway, there was a guy in there, like, because it's a big glass front store, yeah. so you, there was a guy in there
1: doing a with demo. the thing
0: strapped to his face and the things in his hand, <laughs> and he was looking around. And it, I mean, I, I'm sure it was cool. And in fact, um, the guy who helped us at the Apple store said, if you have time, go over there and do the demo, because it is wicked cool.
1: And you were like, I don't wanna look like that guy that
0: we yeah, saw. But the guy we saw doing it, I mean, he just looked like an idiot, right? Yeah. With the thing strapped to his mm-hmm. face and the and the stuff in his hands. Like, I'm sure it's very cool, but I it just it's tough to get away from the fact that you look kinda weird with the with the thing strapped to your face.
1: I don't think it's something that's really meant to be done in public. Right? <laughs> like when you have it in your home you're alone or with other people who are wearing VR goggles. Yeah. That's kind of a funny internet like meme now. I've seen a few things on Facebook where it's kind of a mean thing where you put the VR goggles on grandma and turn on the roller coaster simulator and then yeah. like, record what happens while she's doing it. Yes. Um, it's always very funny. you know. Uh, someone who especially isn't used to a lot of video games or right. 3D, anything. I mean, it just is... Astonishing to them. like
0: <laughs> ah, That's going to be an interesting story to pay attention to over the next couple of years, whether or not anything becomes a VR. Because hmm. it demos really well, and it seems compelling, except that i got to strap something to my face, and I don't yet know how to make that socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 3D... TVs at home, right? Like watching 3d movies at home kind of turned into nothing. Right. You could still go watch 3d movies. Like you and I went and saw Dr. Strange in 3d. Right. Um, and that was, that was good. Right. And I, there are some movies Mm -hmm. that I like seeing in 3d, but it's, uh, I have lots of friends that just flat out refuse. Right. Simply because they do not like wearing those glasses Period. Like it is a not negotiable thing. You know, will go with me, but they will not go see 3D.
1: Yeah, and I feel like 3D in TVs was maybe a little cynical, being like that's a new feature. We always need new features to sell new TVs, kind of thing. Whereas VR, it isn't really. A, I mean, yes, it is kind of like a feature for gaming, but that wasn't the genesis of VR. Um, That's just kind of like the most practical application of VR. I feel like it's a technologies for technology's sake play, which is a little different than a selling point in an existing product line.
0: I think we're probably at least two years away from when that technology could have a chance at going mainstream. Yeah. Right. Like the hardware requirements are pretty steep. Mm -hmm. I know people are trying to work to reduce the hardware requirements, but what they're doing is they're reducing quality and, you know, Oculus, who is a for, you know, at the forefront of all this was very vocal in, in previous months talking about, yes, it's steep requirements, but if you go much less than this and you start reducing the quality, you start to lose the magic. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I don't know. We'll, we'll see how
1: it goes, but, um. We've, I think we've got a ways to go. Needless to say, we did not try the VR rig no. in the Microsoft Store, which was a little bit more sparsely populated than the Apple Store. It was. On a Monday night at the Mall of America.
0: Though fortunately, the Apple Store was not packed. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah.
0: All right. Should we move in a couple of these articles? Yeah. We got? So uh, you found this one about uh, Fender trying to get the kids to play guitar uh that was kind of interesting right
1: like uh, right so the title is don't give up on the guitar fender is begging you <clears throat> subtitle every quitter hurts <clears throat> <laughs> And basically the gist of the article was less people are taking up the guitar therefore fender is selling less guitars kids today don't want to be That's the good. guitar hero that's is really what it comes down to. I, I think the money quote from the article was, how do you convince someone to put down their iPhone and pick up a Stratocaster? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of the problem. Like people are so focused on technology and gaming, and um, kids are less likely to play guitars. And it was a little interesting to me just because as you know this, I've tried to play the guitar. I own a guitar. Yep. I've tried to play the guitar at several different points in my life. Yeah. You know, I'll practice for four or five, six months. I think a year of lessons is the most I've ever taken. Right. This is a couple years back. I took lessons for a year and got to a certain level of proficiency. Put it down, got busy, didn't Haven't pick it up there. for six months. Yeah. If I picked it up now, I, I wouldn't be able to play a chord. Um, and this really? has happened... You
0: couldn't even, like bust out a g chord and a d no.
1: chord and wow. uh, and i've done this several times yeah. over the years so i mean I, I the struggle is real yeah um but i thought this was an interesting article it talked about too how they're having to move into a lot more app and technology focused yep. products and methods of teaching in order to get people to play and I tried some of that, like I tried some online guitar courses, I tried oh what's the game uh rocksmith, rocksmith, yeah, a little bit, and it just nothing ever caught on with me, so hmm. you know interestingly, when we talked a little bit last week about you know if you can't do something, you don't make something happen, it's because you really don't want it bad enough, yep, and how you know I don't know if that's always true. I feel like with guitar, maybe it is that, like, I I want to play the guitar and I think I want to play the guitar, but I must not as much as I think I do, because otherwise I'd do it. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, part of it is we're living through kind of a golden age of television, so it's like you could go beat your head against the guitar for a little while uh, with the hope of one day, you know, being a guitar hero... Uh, or watch Westworld. Or watch Westworld, right? Which has a bunch of naked people in it, so... <laughs> <laughs> naked, naked robots. <laughs> naked robots, yeah. Um, I, you know, it's uh, it's easy to choose the instant gratification of HBO Now. So
1: so you play the guitar. Have yeah. Have you kept up with it much lately? No.
0: Hmm. It comes and goes for me. You know, sometimes I'll pick it up and I'll play it a lot for weeks or months at a time and then it it gets put by the wayside. I haven't figured out a a pattern. Just sometimes it comes and sometimes it goes. I don't know.
1: And I feel like though you in your past guitar playing have reached a level of proficiency such that you'll always be able to pick it up and play it to some extent. I've badly, never gotten, but, yeah, yeah I've never gotten to that point where it's, like, locked away, you know? As a teenager, I've whiled away hours and hours, just right. endless hours on it. I feel like that's when you have to learn to play the guitar, is when you're a kid and you have nothing but time. Everyone I know who is a good guitar player learned when they were a kid and they just played nonstop. Do you know anybody who learned to play as a 30-something and is, like, a proficient guitar player? Um. personally no I don't think it's impossible um, any instruments like that though like it's hard to start taking piano lessons as an adult or it is you certainly you know the <clears throat> one
0: of the things that the music industry has been pretty good at doing is finding the prodigies and giving them <clears throat> an, an outlet Right. Um, You know, we've talked about Prince several times on this Mm -hmm. show, right? And he was such a a musical prodigy, right? And the music industry managed to find him, or he found the music industry, however you want to think about it, early in life. And it allowed him to make enough money that that's just what he could do, right? He could do music his whole life. And so uh, I think part of what you run up against is by the time you get to the middle of your life, as you and I are, uh, you know, there's a lot of demands on your time, right? Because there's the, got to make some money to pay for the mortgage and, you know, the car needs an oil change, right? And there's just one of the benefits you have but you don't realize when you're when you're a kid, when you're a teenager is, um, for most people anyway, you know, food just shows up at the house, right? The car just magically gets an oil change and you don't have to necessarily, you know, work to pay the mortgage, right? So Mm -hmm. you have a ton of free time to do something like get lost in playing the guitar or what one of the things you and I did was get lost inside the computer, right? Mm -hmm. Learning to program computers and everything else. Uh, Today, one of the things that this Fender article is highlighting is there are way more things for kids to get lost in and it's kind of shifting right where the money gets spent and how do you deal with it right how do you for something that's had a historical prominence simply because it has always been the case right rock and roll music just isn't as popular these days as it once was and you know the kids would rather play uh you know mario runs or whatever (laughs) (laughs) or snapchat or snapchat um and something like the guitar is one of those things that has a long payoff right i mean the article said something like 90 percent of the people who start to learn the guitar have given it up in a year Mm -hmm. and that's always been the case it's just that it used to be that more
1: people more people started yeah yep um i don't know Maybe next year. Yeah. (laughs) The funny
0: thing is, is I've always wanted a Stratocaster, right? I'm in a point in my life where I could buy one, and I haven't. I mean, I do have a a, a Fender Telecaster, right? Which I happened to buy used from a friend of mine who was moving and had this guitar and wanted to sell it. It's a nice guitar, and I like it. But um, many of my guitar heroes have played... Stratocasters and I've always coveted one and uh, now that I'm in a position to buy it I haven't
1: so the uh, positive note at the end of the article was that more women are playing the guitar than ever before which they largely credit to Taylor Swift good for her yeah
0: (laughs) she's just a force for something in the music industry yep
1: uh when, when I was last taking guitar lessons, this is, I guess, two years ago now, I did learn to play a Taylor Swift song, and my guitar teacher, who was a man, often had his students play Taylor Swift songs because they're very easy to play, like easy chord progressions. Yeah. <laughs> the melodies popular are music, easy. Yeah. Popular music, yeah. So Nice. But she didn't keep, <laughs> Taylor didn't keep me on it. <laughs> no. I can understand that
0: so speaking of music let's move right into the next thing which is this Beastie Boys Daft Punk mashup this is one of these the internet has provided right like somebody went nutso remixing Beastie Boys songs with Daft Punk samples, and put it out on the internet for us to enjoy and it's uh it's good I mean it's uh, you know a lot of these things can be terrible but this is genuinely good like i've listened to the album a couple <laughs> yeah. of times and i kind of like it
1: so i liked the the line at the top says okay this is pretty simple eight songs from the beastie boys remix using beats and samples from daft punk if you need any further prompting it's probably not for you <laughs> <laughs> because after that first sentence you're like lay it on me yeah <laughs> i'm either all in or not at all yeah um so
0: I mean this was just a little nugget from our friends over at Kotke. and uh this is in my mind this is the best of what the internet can provide
1: yes It's really fun listening to remixes um the first time when you don't know what's coming you know right. and so then you hear a sample or a beat or something from you know another song and it's like oh that's from you know um, so I find stuff like this, like, I don't know, this isn't going to become like the new soundtrack to my life. Um, stuff like this is always the best to listen to the first time. Right. Um, but still. Yeah, it was very it's cool. there. It's very cool. Yeah.
0: And uh, and I liked it. So. All right. Next is a GQ article. Uh, I've been reading a lot more GQ because it's in my Apple News Feed. And some of it's pretty good. Some of it's GQ and kind of dumb, but some of it's GQ and kind of cool. This one is The Science of the Perfect Night Out, which uh, sounds ridiculous. But this article itself is kind of fascinating. It's, uh, what was the guy's name?
1: Um, The author, Shane Snow... John... Oh, John Levy. John Levy. Levy? How do you say that? Levy? Levy? I don't know.
0: L-E-V-Y? A behavioral scientist. And uh, he... uh, um, He's coming up with... uh, As part of a larger body of research he's doing about um, uh, the science of influence, he has... Kind of stumbled upon what he thinks is some empirical evidence to describe the, um, in the context of this article, the the science of having the perfect night out. But in broader terms, it's the science of how to have an interesting and fulfilling adventure. And so, to skip to the to the end, as it were, there are three elements of an adventure that you have to have for it to be interesting and fun. Um, the, uh, and the three are, number one, uh, the experience was remarkable. It was worth talking about. Uh, number two was there was uh, adversity or perceived risk. And number three was it brought about growth. You were a different person at the end. These are the three things... That he discovered. Uh, So then uh, he turns all of that stuff into um, four elements, right? This quote here is four elements that turn a regular night into one that feels like an adventure. Um, You got to have a team, Uh, and so, you know, a group of fun people. You got to have movement so you can't just go to one place right you got to keep moving uh you got to have a mission um something that drives your group's behavior and it can be whatever you want uh and then you got to set up some constraints um so in this night out that they they did like one of their constraints was uh they couldn't they couldn't say no right and they couldn't Um, they couldn't go to any place that they'd been to before, unless, you know, they happened, had, had some tourists on their team and the tourists suggested that they go (laughs) to, to some well-known New York city nightclub. Right. Um, but when you think about it, right, team movement, mission and constraints, um, that. Like, all the times that you've probably had a really good adventure, you've probably had most of these elements.
1: I recognize a lot of these elements, yeah.
0: You know, uh, like, you and I went to Kansas City for a couple days earlier, right? My team is you and I, Is movement, right? We were Kansas City, and we never, like, even when we were in Kansas yeah. City, it was, let's go here, and we're here for an yeah. hour, and then we go there, right? We were on a mission, right, to kind of kind of see what KC had to offer, right? So like when it was dinner time, it was like, man, we're on a mission to find barbecue.
1: Right, those are long, I like long, like marathon type night out. And usually the missions change over time, right? It's like we're trying to find a place with with a good scotch selection and then we're trying to find a place with late night food and then we're trying to find a, you know. (laughs) Well, and uh, we found the,
0: place the bar donut shop that was you know remember we had those donuts yeah, at like right. 10 30 yeah. at night
1: uh you know no and, i'm with you like uh, definitely the, the the mission part of it is what the best night outs that i've had or when you're like trying to get somewhere or find something or do something yeah. you know
0: and then the constraints were mm-hmm. you know like we would uber to like a a corner of town and then we were kind of there right
1: um Right. Those we were more like physical constraints. Right. The constraints discussed in the article are more kind of like contrived or arbitrary constraints. But I don't think that's all bad because it helps make decisions. Doesn't you know, matter what the constraint is. Right? right. Setting some sort of like goal or, you know, ground rules for the night helps in the decision making process. Right. Because we have some sort of a rule for what yeah. needs to happen next.
0: Uh, when I went on the motorcycle trip trips I took earlier this year with my motorcycling crew, uh, the constraint was we got to get to here before dark, right? That's the constraint.
1: So as long as we make that happen, anything's fair game. Yeah. And you you
0: might think you know what's going to happen when you wake up in the morning, but uh, (laughs) every day the answer was you didn't, right? And, you, you know... Mm-hmm. That's part of what makes those things interesting, right? We had a team. We had a movement. I mean, it's a friggin' motorcycle trip, right? So you're always moving. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, right? We're on a mission, which is to get to wherever we're going. And we had constraints, which was every day we had to get to such and such a place, right? And um, like the second one we took, you know, the, the first day was to meet together. And then the second day was, you know, we are going to go eat barbecue in kansas city and then you know the third day was to get to our location and fourth day was to ride around and fifth day was to get back to kansas city to have some different barbecue i mean so there's all kinds of these constraints which make it fun i don't know i really like this article (laughs) because it it lets me put some words around a bunch of vague ideas that i had never really thought about Mm -hmm. And I think this is a way that a lot of people can turn something that might be drudgery or something where they think they're going to have fun by doing the same thing again they've already done 30 times. Like, oh, we always yeah. have fun when we go and do this thing. No. no. you gotta got to yeah. try something else, right?
1: So when you were reading the three elements of the first three things you read, what are those? Like the three elements of good travel, was it?
0: Uh, no. No. Um, People seem to have the most fun when these three elements
1: were present. A remarkable experience, adversity, or risk, and you had to grow. So it's interesting. Those are kind of similar to when you were reading those, what I think of that makes like a good movie or a good drama, right? Is you have a good premise, the characters go through some sort of adversity and they exhibit some sort of growth or personal development in the end. Like that's kind of like the story of a... Um, I would say sure. that differently. I would say the story has to be
0: remarkable, has to be right. interesting. I personally have to experience adversity or risk by becoming emotionally invested in the characters, and then the journey that the characters go on have to make me grow in some way. Like, I have to feel like I learned something or gained an insight into the human condition or or something.
1: Yeah. right? Um, these just strike me as three elements um, of like a compelling human story essentially
0: yeah which is probably true I'm sure if we put enough rye whiskey into a bunch of best-selling authors that we would eventually come around to this is what they need to get their characters to do right? so that people continue to buy all of the books that they buy um, yeah I'm definitely going to keep this article bookmarked and remind myself of it every few months I think it's, maybe it should be required reading for, hey, you're about to you go, go on to a Vegas. trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: Definitely. Well, now it's going to be in the show notes for episode 27 of the podcast. So,
0: Which will eventually make it to the web. This is how we're injecting goodness out on the internet <laughs> or something. All right. So that brings us to the last article we have to talk about, which uh, is a 538 article. And the the headline is kind of funny, but it actually gets it into a fairly deep and interesting problem, right? The headline is, if Waffle House is closed, it's time to panic. <laughs> <laughs> and the basic premise is um, Waffle House, if you have never eaten at a Waffle House, is a cheap greasy diner. National chain, although most of them are in the east and the south. Um, I don't... Do we even have a Waffle House here in Minnesota?
1: Maybe in the... City. As far as I know, Moline, Illinois is the furthest north or farthest north Waffle House I've ever seen. Okay. Uh, but the... uh They're open all the time.
0: 24 by 7, 365. They're just open. And... Uh, you know, so they have an extensive supply chain to make sure that they've always got, you know, food and everything at all the restaurants, but they work at staying open really hard and they don't like to close for anything. And so if they've decided to close a restaurant, that means that the the world has come off the tracks, right? And it's, (laughs) And to to tell you their dedication, if they don't have power, if the power is out, they're open. They have a limited menu that they can serve
1: you when there's no power. right um, What's that gonna be? Is it gonna be like muffins and
0: well, but the just other thing that they'll prepared the other thing that they'll do is um, they'll roll in generators, too, right? I mean, so if there's like a big hurricane coming, and it knocks power out, they're pre-staging generators so that the generators will roll in and at least the lights will come on and they can run the coffee maker, right? I
1: bet they light a fire in the dumpster out back and roast sausages. <laughs> they could, it. right? Um, if mm-hmm. they don't have...
0: Um, you know, if they can't get water, right? So they don't have anything to, like, wash the plates or silverware. I mean, they'll just truck in... Uh, plastic, plasticware and paper plates, right? And they'll serve you food on that stuff. I mean, they go to tremendous lengths to keep the restaurants open, uh, and they, you know, they are very considerate of their staffing, right? They understand when there's a um, when there's a, a big disaster or something like that. They try to keep track of not only where all their staff are, which is a lot of businesses do, but they also try to keep track of, you know, oh, you know, Cheryl is an only mother and she has to, you know, keep track of her children or she's taking care of her elderly parents. And so she's not going to be able to work, right? But these other staff can work and they just figure it out and things become very fluid. And the managers really work hard to keep the stores open. So when they aren't open, it means things are bad. <laughs> uh, and they apparently informally share with the government their plans for which stores they're gonna close based on, you know, weather forecasts and where hurricanes and all that stuff are. And it's not the only bit of data that FEMA uses in its planning, but it's a it's a fairly significant or it's a it's another tidbit of data that they include in there about you know where are people going to need help right and, and it, it
1: said they have a thing they actually call the waffle house index yeah right it's a red yellow green scale based upon the degree of openness of waffle house locations and how many are in any given yeah stage of the index so uh it it was a fascinating
0: a fascinating bit um so Have you
1: eaten in a Waffle House? Yes. It's terrible. It's terrible food. It is. But sometimes at 3 o'clock in the morning, (laughs) it's what you need, right? Uh,
0: It's just how it goes. Mm -hmm. I have a. uh, There are a series of pictures with my friends Uh, when we were 20 somethings. We were visiting. uh, I think we were visiting my friend Joe. So we were out must have been out in ohio or something and uh we'd been drinking and it was late and so it seemed like a good idea to go have some food at the waffle house and it's a mission it's a mission you got a team we had a team and the constraints were it's 3 a.m so and hungry (laughs) uh, so we took a picture of ourselves in front of the waffle house before we went in to eat and we just looked like a bunch of hungover dudes. And then we took another picture of us after we had eaten out in front of the Waffle House. And, of course, we were merely play acting, but we all looked like we were about to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's kind of the quintessential pair of Waffle House pictures.
1: <laughs> but Yeah, here I'd probably say... I'd probably say Denny's is the equivalent to that. Like I've only ever eaten Denny's when I'm drunk and I always regret it. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you were making a good choice, you'd
0: say, well, I could go eat at Perkins and Right. And have at least a shot and of not eating When
1: sober, terrible. Perkins is terrible, but when drunk, Perkins is like high quality cuisine. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So the Waffle House Index. Something to live by, yeah. Uh, So I got a bonus topic for you. You got anything else? Uh, nope. Okay, my question for you: Do you recycle your compact fluorescent bulbs?
0: Um, yes.
1: Okay. So I recently have encountered a couple of people. They just throw. Who just throw them in the garbage? Um, This has happened twice in the last six months. And when I say to them, you know you have to recycle those, right? No, you just throw them in the garbage. No. They were completely unaware. They have mercury in them. They have mercury in them. So today, I posted on Facebook. We won't get into your approval or disapproval of my Facebook behaviors. um, A little thing, because I recently I had like four bulbs I needed to take. And I took them to Home Depot because... You know, I... They take them there, yeah. I replaced most of my bulbs in, like, mid to late 2000s. So now all of the compact-pack fluorescents are dying, you know, and I, one by one, I'm replacing them with LEDs. Yep. So I keep coming up with the number of bulbs that I need to recycle. Right. Um. So this realization that people don't know that you can't throw these away. So I posted this on Facebook with a picture of the recycling center at Home Depot. Right. Um. And some bulbs. And... A lot of people commented on it. I I didn't know that. Good to know. Thanks for sharing. People have shared it. Um, I thought this was something that just everyone knew, um, and I kind of speculate. So I you know I bought this house in 2002. wasn't it? It was kind of like mid 2000s when CFLs became a thing. Yep. And it was a big news story. And every time you read an article about them, there was always this disclaimer: they contain mercury, they can't be thrown in the trash. You have to recycle them. Right. So like if you were a homeowner and you were buying light bulbs at the time when CFLs were introduced on the market, I think, you know, that and you just will always know that and remember it. And I mean, I've never thrown one away. It's mostly people who are a little bit younger and who were like in college who weren't really paying attention and then, you know, have become a homeowner later. And they've never read something or been told that you can't throw these away. Yeah, and they don't bother to look very closely at the packaging. Well, yeah, packaging. it's written in teeny tiny print on the packaging. I mean, yeah. I don't read the packaging of every light bulb I buy. So, <laughs> That's why I like you. So, <laughs> Because if you did, I wouldn't. <laughs> so I don't really blame people, but it kind of, I mean, someone has really dropped the ball, like cultural, culturally, of not, Inform. I mean, who knows how many of these busted CFL bulbs are in landfills now. Wow. It's kind of crazy, so that's my new like pet issue is making sure people understand. And it's not like people are too lazy or you know can't be bothered to recycle them and are like, damn the environment. Yeah. No, people just don't know. It's like it's a light bulb. You throw light bulbs away. Yeah. Not those. Not those. You can throw LEDs away. Mm. Yes. You can also recycle them because there's electronics in there. Yeah. But. Um... So I think it's important to spread the word that. Don't throw CFLs in the trash. So I did a little research on them before I was going to post this because I wanted to see, you know, where it takes them. Home Depot takes them. Lowe's takes them. Ikea takes them. The hazardous... Uh, and the recycling center. Recycling does center. For, does. for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's inconvenient. Like, I don't expect everyone to drive their light bulbs to the recycling center. I think Home Depot or Lowe's is a fair um, expectation of people. Yeah. I take mine there typically because...
0: Uh, At the Sportsman's Club I belong to, we have some light fixtures that are fluorescent tubes. And when they burn out... Those you can't take to Home Depot. I I just take them over to the recycling center. It's like 50 cents per tube to recycle it or whatever. And if I have any compact fluorescents, they just sit around. I mean, I literally have a a grocery bag sitting on the floor uh, in my dining room that collects the things that go to the hazardous waste Hmm. recycling center and every so often i haul it over there and give it to them and go go about my merry way so
1: so in doing my research the interesting thing i came upon do you know that in the state of minnesota the great state we live in it is actually illegal to put a compact fluorescent bulb in the trash Yes, because mercury. Because mercury. Yeah. There's like six or eight states that have laws about this, but it comes under the mercury prohibition statute where it says a person may not place mercury or a mercury containing device or product in the following locations, solid waste or. Yeah. Do you uh, have any
0: compact fluorescents left in your house?
1: I do. They're mainly in every fixture that I use frequently has pretty much burned out and I've moved on. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of light fixtures like in the basement that I don't turn on very often. So those, I mean, those CFLs, I don't know how long they'll last.
0: Right. Um, um, I'm on a mission at my sportsman's club to eventually replace all of our fluorescent tubes with um, LED, tubes. LED tubes. They make LED tubes? Are they any good? Yes, they're pretty good. Um, they're not the cheapest things that money can buy, but right. they're LEDs. And since I'm the guy and often one of the only people that actually replaces light bulbs, you, you, get, to, Club, you get to
1: decide which light bulbs. I get to decide the light bulbs, right? Uh, my main problem with LEDs is there are certain bulb types that either are super expensive or aren't even available yet. Yeah. And my main problem is I have Four lamps or fixtures in my house that take three-way bulbs that so I like to do the fifty, 100, 150 3 ways.
0: I don't know if they have those yet in three ways. There I are three-way LEDs now. There but...
1: are. They aren't. They don't go that bright. I really like the one fifty on the top end for when it's like a room illuminating yeah. fixture. Um, and I think I saw one recently, but there it was like thirty dollars or something. Like it was very expensive. Um, So I'm actually still using incandescent in all those applications because I tried the three-way compact fluorescent, and they're terrible. They're terrible. They buzz, and they flicker, and... So
0: I had to... um, I had a lamp fail in my house a couple years ago, and I bought a new lamp. Um, But in order to get a lamp... that I could put LED bulbs in. Like, I knew the type of LED bulbs I wanted to use, and I knew how many lumens those bulbs produced. And I knew that in order to get a lamp that would pro- would have enough light in it for the room that I wanted, I was going to need a lamp that had two bulbs in it. Uh, and that, that was hard to do. But I, I made a whole decision... About which lamp to buy, so that I could put two two LED bulbs in it. I mean, it looks like a regular lamp; you would never know.
1: It has two sockets,
0: but it has two sockets, right? Huh. Um, and it looks good. It was it was expensive, um,
1: but because you don't just waltz into Walmart and buy lamps that have two sockets.
0: Um. Yeah. No, I ended <laughs> up at the lighting store, and I went through like every. Every book they had, and I found one lamp that I kind of liked, and you know, so I'm sitting at the table, and they're, you know, letting me flip through everything, right? Because I told them it needs two sockets, and so they were helping me. And I finally I said, I, I think I like this one, and uh, uh I think it was Sandy helping me, um, who it just so happened she has helped me before by lighting. Like I did some lighting work in my bathroom and she worked at a different place at that time, but she helped me pick out lighting fixtures in my bathroom. And then at this place I was buying the lamp. It was a different store, but she was working there now. And she like,
1: knew, so she knows, she, she kind of remembered she knows me from when before. you come in, just go with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I said, I think I like that one. And she's like, uh, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. She's like, um, pretty expensive <laughs> i'm like i saw that but it's the only one that i like yeah <laughs> she's like
1: okay <laughs> we'll order it
0: and away we went
1: see i've never thought about a multi-bulb i didn't even know that was a thing i it, my problem you've is seen in, this lamp in yeah, my house did you yeah, know that there's two i sockets did not on it? but it's very bright yeah i um in my basement there's no overhead lighting in a in the family room section so all the lighting comes from lamps so yeah I mean, when you want, I mean, it's fine when you're watching TV or whatever, but like if you're entertaining or, you you know, I have people there, I want it bright enough, you know, that you can see each other and the 150 watts is essential. So. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the
0: brand was of this. Oh, it's a, it's a Hubberton Forge lamp, which. You know, our three listeners, maybe they do or don't. They're they're made in Vermont. Right. Right. And they're not, like, made in a factory in Vermont. They're made by dudes in Vermont. Okay, cool. Uh, So I wholeheartedly recommend a Hubberton Forge. If you have to ask how much, you can't have it.
1: Right. I mean, it was like a $1,000 lamp. So be it. I mean, if it lasts and it produces the light you want for your room, there you go.
0: The funny part is, is now I have in this room, I've got this Hubberton Forge lamp, which is very nice. I have this 20 year old hand-me-down couch that genuinely (laughs) needs to be replaced. And I've just been too lazy. I've got a, um... A coffee table that literally came from Goodwill.
1: So when your house gets robbed, they aren't going to realize that the most expensive thing in their room to steal is the lamp. Is the lamp, yeah.
0: (laughs) And uh, the lamp on the other side of the couch is like this $20 Target craptacular lamp, right? Of which I used to have two, but one of them broke. (laughs) So, um, yeah. All right. (laughs) So I've got a very fancy lamp and a very fancy stereo in that room, and everything else is terrible. This is because I don't live with a woman. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, this is really what it comes down to, right? You let men live by themselves. They eventually end up with a couple of nice things. You're like, I really like that one. I'm going to buy it. It it doesn't fit with anything else. And it's crazy money. Yeah, but I like it. So I'm having it. Right. And then you have this weird stuff.
1: Right. Right. So yeah, I mean I I think LEDs are the way to go. Somebody mentioned on the post and we kind of talked about LEDs. I have a hard time telling people you should buy all LEDs cuz I don't know that they're there yet. Like there's a lot of different kinds, there's a lot of different price structures. Um I don't feel I don't feel comfortable compelling people to buy LED bulbs just yet. However, I do feel comfortable compelling them to recycle their effing CFL bulbs. So I'm not inhaling mercury.
0: (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Do you think
1: LEDs, are they there? Is it a done deal? I don't know. So
0: I would say yes. Um, I have a friend, Aaron, who, if there was ever anybody who's more particular about light bulbs than I am, it would be him. And in his house, he has a lot of cans in the ceiling, right? A lot of, uh, you know, recessed things. And he has tried all kinds of LED lights and he cannot find one that he likes. So he still buys um, halogen bulbs for his mm-hmm. cans. Uh, now, I have argued with him, you know, in in the playful way that longtime friends can argue, that he is objectively wrong. <laughs> but uh, it's still his preference. I personally think... For lots of applications, not all applications, for lots of applications, you can buy an LED bulb that is sufficient. Like, if you need a 60-watt regular light bulb, you should buy an LED bulb. Right. Right. There are LED bulbs that are very good.
1: As long as it's not specialized, three-way, dimmable, something. Uh, you can get dimmable LEDs.
0: Um One of the things that my friend Aaron does not like about LEDs is he has a hard time finding LEDs that will go dim enough for him. Mm -hmm. Like He likes... I I swear to God, the guy would live in a cave if he could, right? But he likes just barely enough light not to stub his toe on the couch when he's walking around. Uh, So he wants to have the lights very dim, but I think his dimness setting is unusually low i do not think most people want it that dim um but you can get a dimmable you can get a light that's suitable for damp locations um you can get lights that can you know go out in your garage maybe not necessarily outside in the rain but certainly out in your garage they work in really cold Mm -hmm. temperatures um there are lots of things for which i think you can get an led bulb and they're fine it may not be as the cheapest thing that you can make but um but they last a good long time Uh, at my aforementioned sportsman's club most of the light fixtures there have led bulbs in them uh which has been fantastic right the building that we're in is coming up on four years old and all of the led lights still just work Mm. you don't have to replace them um Everything at the club that is not an LED light, uh, you wish was an LED. <laughs> I wish was right, and so and some of these lights are um, like we have some outdoor lights that are lighting various bits outdoors, and they're thirty feet up in the air, right? So you know when the thing burns out, like we have one that's burned out now, like the bulb is not very much money. But it's, it's hundreds pain, of dollars to replace, to replace it because yeah. we have to get somebody who has a bucket truck, yeah. right? So they can come up and go up to the top and change this bulb, right? And every time we do this, I say, can you replace this whole fixture with an LED light? And uh, the price continues to come down. Um, and eventually, I believe that all of them will be. Uh, and then, because it's not about... I mean. Part of it is saving energy, but ultimately it's about the the labor cost involved mm-hmm. in replacing the lights all the time. Right. Um as you notice around mm-hmm. town they're replacing street lights now yes. with LEDs. So as they burn out, they're just replacing the whole fixture with LEDs. Mm-hmm. And I I don't believe that the LEDs save particularly much energy as compared to the sodium vapor lights, like the orange ones mm-hmm. that they have in there. Um, it's they, just the
1: longevity of them
0: but it does produce a higher quality of light because it's it does not seem right right it's a whiter light mm-hmm. which means that your mm-hmm. ability to perceive color in the light is improved as compared to under the more orange lights of right. the traditional kind uh, so there's that so it does seem brighter but it's um they're they're expected to last for a lot longer than Um, than the other bulbs were, right? Most stoplights that municipalities, you know, as they burn out, they're just replacing them with LED lights. Um, Up here where we are, and it snows, they actually have had to uh, add heaters into there so that it literally melts the snow out of them in the winter. Because when it used to be incandescent bulbs, the heat from the bulb would melt the snow, but that doesn't work Hmm. with LEDs. But it's not about saving money on electricity, it's about... Not having to replace them. You know, that thing is going to work for 10 years, and I don't have to
1: replace it. So, from a convenience factor, I think it's high. So I just looked... I haven't looked in a long time, but... Um, they do sell... Philips makes a 5100 way and on Amazon it's 2499 I think I saw it at Home Depot the other day. So... I don't know. I mean, it's rated to last five-year warranty, 25,000 hours. It's probably worth it, but it's kind of hard to stomach $25 for a light bulb. That's not even close to how much money I've paid for LED bulbs. Yeah. For me, okay. (laughs) For me, it's hard to stomach $25 for a light bulb to put in a lamp that I probably paid $25 for. So. Obviously, you need to buy a Huffington Forge. Right. That's a, and then the light if bulb I had a $1,000 $1, lamp, a $25 light bulb would just be like pocket change. <laughs> oh, this was a $26 bottle of rye that I that bought. That could be so a lamp. That could have been a light bulb. Yeah. I could have been saving the planet. Well, at least I recycle my CFLs. There you go. All right.
0: Before we end... Would you care to make a prediction about how your diet's going to go for next week?
1: Um, no. <laughs> Actually, no. Wait. I. It's been a pretty good week. I'm going to guess maybe three or four pounds. Four pounds? I think I'm on track. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll check in next week and find out. See you next week.